0: I want to know, who are you? Come on. I'm a child of the living God. Peggy doesn't need the sermon today. (laughs) She's ruined it for you all. No, I'm just kidding. That's absolutely true. Perfect. Good. It's hard to beat that now, isn't it? Right? Uh, Who are you? A A sinner saved by grace. Who are you? Redeemed. Redeemed. You guys have great church answers. I guess you're in church, right? Good, 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 good. Uh, listen, identity, you ready for this? Get, get your get, My email is rick at covenantchurch.org. Get, get ready, right? right? Your identity is something that is extremely important. And in, in our culture, it is a conversation that is had often, isn't it? The question that sometimes hits us in the face, even as believers in Christ, is who... you ready? Who do we identify as? Now, that's a dangerous question in our culture today, isn't it? The the more Christian, uh, churchy answer is, who do we identify with? And you've heard those realities today, but but I kind of like the idea of who do we identify as? Now, that has been a, a very important question in our culture with regard to gender identity, right? Yes, I'm going there. That's why I invited you. I gave you my email already, right? The, the reality is, of, of who do you identify as with regard to your sexuality? And, and I'm not here today to preach on gender issues this morning. I, I, I don't, but at the same time, I, I don't want to minimize this issue of question of identity, with some spiritual platitudes of kind of saying, well, that's crazy, or some other negative connotation that pushes that conversation of gender identity outside of the walls of the church, as if we'll never have to deal with that. It is a real conversation that the church needs to enter into, not push away. In a previous life, in a previous church, it was a very real conversation for me as a pastor with a young man who had grown up in the church as a young woman. And some of you are a little offended that I even referred to him as a young man, right? But listen to what I learned in those conversations. I, I, I learned how to be humble. <laughs> I learned how to listen. And I learned that my sin was as great as his redeemed by grace. Let me say this before you begin to formulate your emails. I do not condone being someone other than who God made you to be in your sexuality. Let me say that again. I don't condone being someone other than who God made you to be in your sexuality. But my point this morning will be, Let's be careful that we don't fall prey to the same lie in our, get this, spiritual identity. Here's what I mean. While we like to be critical of those who identify as someone that God did not make them to be in their sexuality, we at the same time live as someone that God did not make us to be in our spirituality. Ooh. Let me me say that again for you. While we like to be critical of those who identify as someone that God did not make them to be in their sexuality, we at the same time live as someone that God did not make us to be in our spirituality. And that issue is at the core of our text this morning. This suddenly got really serious around here, didn't it? I want us to hear this because the text that we have this morning is just four verses. But I believe in the book of Colossians, it is the four verses that Paul has been working towards, and the rest of our discussion of Colossians up until Easter will be the very thing that Paul talks about out of these verses. They are the kind of the pinnacle of the reality of this text. And I think they they may hit you as if they hit me, that challenge us with regard to who we are who we identify as, especially who we identify as as believers in Jesus. You ready for that? Here we go, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. I would encourage you to open your Bibles. If you brought them, if not, it's uh, page 984 in your pew Bibles or on your electronic devices, whatever it is that you bring to read God's Word, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If you're just joining us this morning, we've, we've been in the book of Colossians since the beginning of the year, and there are a couple of things that I will allow the people of Covenant to share with you that we've learned. They're easy questions. Uh, the first is this, who wrote the book of Colossians? Now, those of you who just visited, thank you very much, Rickwork. Those of you, so, so that, that wasn't a bad Paul answer, but, but I want you to hear the, the excitement that I initially shared with all of you over the reality that Paul wrote this, like the, the super apostle wrote this, right? And we get to hear it today, so I won't go into that sermon again, but Paul did, and he wrote it to whom? The church of Colossae. I don't care if you don't get so excited about the church of Colossae, other than you realize that it's a church that Paul never went to. He never necessarily met these people on their grounds. But the word of God has gotten there. There's been revolutionary change in who they are. And they are indeed, by the grace of God, saints in the eyes of God. Paul recognizes that. And why did he write it to this church? To make much of Jesus. Some of you are getting that. That's that's good. Uh, Here's the crucial thing to remember. The church of the day, like we of today, has allowed all kinds of strange thinking into our spiritual lives. We're going to talk about that today. And Paul is redirecting the church and us to think only of Jesus. So here comes what I believe to be the pinnacle of his thinking in this letter. Colossians chapter 3, just verses 1 through 4. The Word of God says this, if you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. May God help us. And the understanding of his word as we discover today who we are, who we can identify as in our spiritual identity. The first point this morning is really not a point, it's a caveat. I, I want us to look at what this text is not saying, but we often make it to say, Right? I want us to look at what it's not saying, but we often make it to say, often we make this text to say, you need to be better, try harder, right? You need to be better, try harder. So we read in this text, seek the things that are above as a rebuke for the squirrels last week, right? The distractions that we often chase in life, and instruction to be better at limiting those distractions so that we might be better at thinking about Jesus, try harder, we read, set your minds on things that are above as a boot camp mentality of I've got to change the things that I think about. Mm, 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 so that I might be better. So therefore I try harder. I don't know if anybody's resonating with this. We read, when Christ who is your life appears then you also will appear with him in glory as if I can just, if I can just hang on and do more good than bad then when Jesus comes back I'll be okay. So I just try to be better. I just try to try harder. Harder. But a reminder, that's not what this text says. But it's often what we make it to say. Listen, I would even suggest that it's a very dangerous, thinking this way, this be better, try harder, is a very dangerous entry into identifying as someone that God did not make us to be. hear that the be better try harder mentality can get very dangerous in our entry into identifying as someone that God did not make us to be at the very core of this kind of thinking is an identity that we make ourselves better spiritually by being better and trying harder listen It might suggest that we are what we do. That our identity in Jesus is based on our behavior modification in our spiritual journey. That if we act like a Christian, we must be one. I will tell you that that kind of logic is like saying, if I live in a garage, I must be a car. That's a crazy statement. But we often live with an identity that if I do better, try harder to look like a Christian, then I'll be one. And that's not true. So let me skip to the chase. If we believe that way, our salvation is therefore going to be dependent on how we behave. And therefore, if we get better by trying harder, we will be okay in the eyes of God. And I say to you again... That is not what this is saying. Which begs a very important question. Do you know what question that begs? What does it say? Thank you, Peg. I'm so glad you're here this morning. It's really good. What does it say? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad Peg asked. She asked on behalf of all of you, right? Three thoughts with three words. See, seek, and set. Here's the first thought. I want you to see your identity in Jesus. This text this text presents an amazing reality that we need to get our minds around and who we identify as, as people of God. If you were paying attention as I talked about what it's not, I skipped over two phrases in talking about what this passage does not say. And they are two passages that literally change everything about what it does say. So I want you to hear the two passages that that change our thinking, that recalibrate our thinking away from being better, try harder to identifying as indeed a child of the living God. Verse 1. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ. I'm going to get technical for a second. If you don't like technicalities, just ponder upon something else I've said. We'll get back to you, right? But those of you that like technicalities, here, here it is. A Greek technicality, right? Uh, The Greek actually here says, therefore, if. And when we see therefore, we ask the question, what's it there for? It's there for an application. He's taking all the good theology that he's talked about, and he's about ready to apply it. The the, the translation doesn't show up as therefore, if. It just says if then. But I want you to hear that a therefore, if, is not just an, uh, an open conditional phrase like, if this happens, then this happens. It is a definitive statement. The NIV, some of you have NIV Bibles, actually translate this since. And I like that translation, although it's not exactly the Greek word, but I think it's the, the Greek thought in this. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Taking all into account of all that Christ has said, the great resume that he's given you that you're circumcised, your heart is circumcised in the flesh, that you've been buried with Christ and raised again, that you have been gone from death to life. Remember the resume that we built? That since that is true, know this you have been raised with Christ. And the reason that makes all the difference in the world is this. So join us back if you were floating out there in Never Never Land. It changes it from what I have done to what to what Jesus has done. It's not about me being better and trying harder. It's about me living in depending on that which Christ has done. And what is it that He has done? He has been raised from the dead. And what does it say about us in that regard? That we have been risen with Him. At least smile. That's good news. That's great news. And in order to get these verses, you need to get this phrase. Quite frankly, we should be blown away by it. That we have an identity in Christ who has risen from the dead, and therefore we have risen with Him. We've heard that so often around Easter. We go, yeah, yeah that's, that's true. Now listen! You were risen with Christ! So where do we get our spiritual identity? Who are we? We are raised with Christ. We were present in the resurrection. Our victory is not in our abilities or our works. Our victory is not in trying harder or being better. Our victory, our identity, is being raised with Christ. Here another key phrase in these verses. Verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Can I lovingly tell you something about your life? It is characterized by sin. Dominated by sin. And even the good things that you do are done often for selfish reasons. This is your life. That's my life. But I have good news. The book of Colossians has told us several times that this is why Jesus has come, that we died with him, that our sins would be forgiven. And so it says it here again. You have died. What Paul is saying is that you, you with your sin has died with Christ as he died on a cross as a sacrifice for your sins. And in his perfection in our life of sin, our lives are hidden with Christ in his perfection before God. Which means you have not provided the way to heaven by being better and trying harder, but rather you are going to heaven because your identity is now in Christ. You have died with him, risen with him as one who has died for your sins and in whom has risen over the grave. That's astounding truth that changes everything. Who are you? One who is raised again with Christ. One who has died with Christ. One whose life is hidden with Christ. One whom, when Christ returns, he'll be with him, says this text. I have a simple mind. I need simple things to understand amazing truths such as this. So this is my simple mind and my simple truth. A picture that helps me. I want you to picture the fact that Christ, in his death and resurrection, has built us a fully furnished mansion. Everybody okay getting a mansion? Thank you, Dick, back there. Dick's the only one who gets a mansion. I, I actually, Ellen's outdoors, and she has a mansion for everybody who raised their hand. Dick's the only one who did. No, I'm just kidding. So the reality is, is this I want you to picture this identity, right, as a mansion that Christ has given you, fully furnished. You literally can bring nothing into it. But you step in the door, right, and you begin to see what is in the mansion. His challenge in these verses isn't try hard to be better so you can live there, right? His challenge isn't be good so that one day you can move in. His challenge is this. Look around. This is yours. That's his challenge in these verses. Our identity is one who gets to live in the mansion. See, your identity in Jesus. The scriptures are full of identity wall hangings in this house. It's full of overstuffed furniture, of promises for you to rest in. A resource for you, if you're here and you really want to know what God thinks about you, right? Is this. We'll put it on the screen. Those of you technologically advanced can take a picture of it. Check it out later. It's www.desiringgod.com backslash articles, backslash what God thinks of you. Some of you may have seen Love Letters from God. This is similar, but it's, in my taste, more theologically accurate. But it is a trip through the Scriptures that will tell you, through the Bible, what your identity is in Christ. What is in the mansion? What God thinks about you. It's amazing. But maybe today, it's safe just to hit one verse that you're all familiar with, but I want you to hear it in this context. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. You know what? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Right? The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul gets it. Colossians 3, 1-4 is in this text. You are a new creation. Not because you deserved it. Not because you worked for it. Not because you tried harder to get there. But because you are in Christ in his death, in his resurrection, and you identify as his son or daughter. See your identity in Christ. Then comes the rest of these verses in our text. See how it changes the way we see them. If we see our identity in Christ, then we need to seek the things of that identity. Ready for this? You you, you see it in this text, right? If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Seek! Paul uses the terminology here of above, sometimes making us feel as if these things are far away. But it's not a proximity thing. It's not a distance thing. It is a mindset thing. Are we seeking the things of the world or are we seeking the things of our identity in Christ? Um, How many of you have ever uh, rented a house for a week of vacation or something like that, right? I've done that uh, a couple of times, and and, and I have actually more fun doing it when I was a youth pastor. We'd go on retreats, and we'd rent these huge houses and take kids in to destroy the houses and then leave after the weekend. It was really a lot of fun. Um, But but the the, the reality was, is, is taking those kids to the threshold of those mansions, they would get so excited, right? So they would go in and they would begin to look around like what does this thing have? I mean, what's the best bed? Where's the coolest chair? Where's the smart TV? Is there a pool table? Is there a ping pong table? And they would just begin to search the house over for everything that they could find that was theirs for the weekend. That's the image that I want us to have of having an identity in Christ. He's he's placed us in the house and he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go crazy in this house and go find all the cool things that you are now by virtue of being with me, in me, hidden in me. Go check it out. There's so many cool things, right? So, so we run and we begin to find them. And John Piper calls them this, inconceivable certainties. I love that reality. Let me give you a couple of those inconceivable certainties that I know are in that house. I found them. In this house, there is an overstuffed chair of joy. Because this is what Jesus says. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's his promise. That's in the house. That's your identity. There is a posturpedic mattress of his love. In the house. As you hear Jesus say, As the Father has loved me, what? So have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. There is the peace of His porch swing. As you hear Jesus say, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Look around, people of God. You who identify as believers in Christ, as children of the living God. Seek the house. All these goodies are there and more. But you might say this morning, why do I have to seek them? Obviously, there's an action verb. There's something for me to do. There, there is a, a big church word that we often throw around called sanctification. I think it's the reality of why it's seek. God gives them, but He then calls us to action to discover them. I, I, I remember being a kid um, a couple of times, and, and the big present at Christmas, my parents hid. I'll never forget one year I got a brand new trumpet. Um, and and, and I've opened all my presents, right? And it's kind of a light Christmas. And I'm going, eh, what's going on here? It's a light Christmas. And then I open this little box, and, and it's a um, it's a treasure hunt around the house for my last present. And in a closet in the hallway was this huge case, and in it was a brand spanking new trumpet that I no longer can play. <laughs> so I don't get any ideas. Right? But But... I can think about the reality of what a joy it would be as a parent to watch your kid running around the house trying to find the thing, right? And I think Jesus, I think God, takes great joy in the love of our journey of seeking the things of him in our mansion. Here's the second reason that I think he makes us seek it. Because I've found in my life that if I get in my mansion and just stand still, I become apathetic, just stay in one place. That sneaky little guy, the devil, you know him? Tends to sneak in and hand me a mirror. And I look in that mirror and I see what a lousy, rotten scoundrel I am. And I get lost in that image of who he wants me to believe he is, rather than to look around and seek the things that God says I am. Any of you relate to that? Throw the stinking mirror down. Begin to seek the things that God says you are. So see your identity in Jesus, that you might seek the things of that identity, and then finally this, set your minds on that identity. He says it here, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's one thing to seek out something and quite another thing to set your mind to it. But it certainly follows, doesn't it? I mean, it's one thing to seek out the best bed in the new house for a week, but it's another thing to establish it as your own. I remember on those youth retreats, I let seniors go in the, in the house first and, and they had learned that you go find the best bed, right? And then they would put their stuff on it. They would claim it. Not only to seek it while the freshmen are going, oh, look at the TV. They're getting their bed, right? And they claimed it so that the freshmen are sleeping on the floor. Right? So here it is. Don't only seek the reality of your identity, but claim it. Know that it's true. Sit in that overstuffed chair of joy. Rest in that bed of love. Swing on that poor swing of peace. Don't just acknowledge it. Set your minds to it. That's the instruction of Paul. See your new identity. Seek seek out what is there and then live in it. Set your mind on it. Again, this is quite different than a boot camp mentality of I have to change the things I think about. And it's resting in thinking about the things that you know. In college, I had a group of friends who served as what we called then accountability partners. Some of you have had. Those may have them even now. We were accountability partners in our hormone-driven dating lives, among other things, at college, right? And our theme verse was Philippians 4:8. Some of you know it. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And our young, hormone-driven minds were like, gonna, gonna, gonna think about things that are pure, 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 right? And we probably needed to do that. But how about this change? Think about the fact, settle into the fact, that Christ has given you a spirit of purity. Seek it out. Settle into it. Enjoy the ride. That whatever is true, whatever is noble, honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, that you settle into those things because they are the things of God. We needed to settle in to a spirit of purity. We needed to to settle in to the fact that, that Christ would Walk with us through temptations. We needed to settle in and be grateful for girlfriends with big sticks. Right? We needed to settle into the things that God had given us. To set our minds on the things that we found in our new identity. To sit in that chair of joy. To rest on the bed of love. To find peace on the porch swing. So I ask you again as we close. Who are you? Who, 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 who? Who are you? One who is striving to work hard to impress Jesus? To be better? Or one who is simply striving to live out who God has made you to be? Are you getting your identity from what you do? Or who you are in Jesus? Sam Alberry great pastor, has said this, we have to deconstruct the identity we have been finessing over the years and allow God to define who we are. (laughs) So true. Much of that deconstruction has come from bad preaching, so I'm sorry if you've ever heard from me, be better, try harder. If I can use one more picture for you that will develop, I think, next week as well. It's a train. It's the train of your spiritual journey. And I ask you the question as we close, what is the engine and what is the caboose? Does what you do pull along who you are? So, so is what you do the engine that pulls the caboose of who you are? Or is who you are the engine that pulls the caboose of what you do? You hear the difference? Colossians chapter 3, 1-4 says this, the engine is who you are. But when we step into that engine, the caboose of what we do will come. It's just when we get it reversed that we get messed up. But that's not who God has made us to be. We identify, as Peg said, as a child of the living God. Our emphasis, therefore, is on seeing our identity in Jesus seeking the things that this brings and setting our mind on them. Let's work together to deconstruct our mindset that we must try harder to be better and then hope to be righteous in the end and rightly begin to identify as children of God, heirs with Jesus, a new creation in Christ, and then live in it knowing that we are righteous. Knowing that we are righteous as we live in Christ, knowing that when Christ returns, as this text says, that we will be with him in glory. That's who you are. Let's pray.